right, church, it's good to see you. I want to start before I get into the message this uh, morning uh, with a, a little bit of an announcement, I guess, if you will. Uh, I've kind of wrote it out here just because uh, to make it concise and get through and, and make it happen. So, uh, but just in regards to uh, things that are happening, uh, last Sunday I was here, uh, Pastor Bob uh, shared that he was uh, going to be leaving us, heading off to Fallon, Nevada, and uh, and uh, excited about that, but uh, since then we haven't really, you know, as a church, really talked about it because I took off. I was like, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, but I came back, and so now that I'm back, uh, the elders and I actually met yesterday for the first time since Bob's announcement, and and uh, kind of talked through some things. And so I just wanted to give a, a, answer a couple of questions, and then we'll kind of just move on. And so again, I wrote it just to make it concise. So I don't stay on it all day long. So here we go. Uh, as the elders and I continue to process uh, the process of evaluating the needs of our church and how best to meet those needs, we are recognizing the wonderful provision of Jesus. Even with the recent news of Pastor Bob and Sherry being called to another community, we clearly see God's hand at work. Amen. After all, he knew this was coming and he has graciously prepared us for it. And at least in part by prompting us to begin this process of evaluating our church and ministry at the beginning of this year. Yesterday, the elders and I met for the first time since Pastor Bob made his announcement. At the conclusion of that meeting, we felt it would be good to answer a couple of questions that may be bouncing around in your minds and also give you a bit of our perspective on the transition uh, we are just about to begin. First, you may be asking, when is Pastor Bob's last day? After meeting with him last week, he has requested and we've agreed that his last Sunday will be October 2nd. Uh, that's only a couple of months away. And we will, of course, be having a big going away gathering for the purpose of blessing the bakers and sending them out with a bang, right? Uh, as only Trinity Alliance can do. The date and details of, those, uh, of that gathering will be announced sometime in the next week or two. Uh, the second question many of you may be asking is, uh, when are we going to hire a replacement for Pastor Bob? That's a great question. <laughs> the elder board and I feel that, that, again, the Lord has been leading these changes, and that includes the ministry of staff evaluation process we started in January. While we are a bit behind our original timeline on those evaluations and Bob leaving in October was not expected, we still feel this process is important and needs to be completed. So at this point, our plan is to finalize our work by the end of September, give a report of our findings by the end of October, and then begin the process of filling the staff positions we feel God is leading us to fill. While we hope a hire, to hire a replacement for Bob uh, as soon as possible after this process is complete, we do expect to be down at least one staff member for six to nine months. In the interim, we will be dependent on our current staff, leadership, and the congregation to step up and fill in the many different ministry gaps. Now, as your pastor... While I am sad to lose Bob and Sherry, we've been such, who have been such great partners in ministry, I am excited for the opportunities this transition will give our church. Every time a key leader steps out of ministry in a church uh, community, there is opportunity for growth. Not that the leader did a poor job or was not fulfilling his or her duties well, but that every change demands we re-envision how we do ministry. 
With Bob stepping out of the role he's faithfully served in for 30 years, we as a church get a chance to re-envision how we do ministry. One of the biggest areas of ministry that Bob has influenced is the, in the area of facilities. He's done a great job caring for, developing, and maintaining our property and our buildings. As he steps away, we get to figure out how to keep it up, but also get a chance to try different ways of doing it. Another powerful impact Bob has had in our church is in the area of leadership and administration. Many of the policies were written by Bob, but more importantly, many of the ministries we do have been led by him and Sherry. Take, for instance, family camp. Bob and Sherry have led that event for decades. Now that they are stepping out of these leadership roles, we as a church have an opportunity to empower new leaders who can build on the foundation that they have so beautifully laid. But perhaps most profound is the impact Bob and Sherry have had on our individual lives. Through his, of course, formal counseling, but more significantly through their personal investment into our lives. They have loved us well, unconditionally, extravagantly. They've been there through the many joys and sorrows. They've encouraged us, been faithful to us, challenged us, and been with us through so much. As they step out of this role and the personal connections that come with it, a door is open to us. First, to forge new relationships where we can find similar support and love. And second, that we could allow the faithful friendship that they have shown us to inspire us to be a faithful friend to someone else. Church, as difficult as it is to see our good friends and spiritual leaders depart from our community, it is obvious that God is in it. As a result, we can embrace the changes to come with excitement, trusting that God is good and what he orchestrates will result in our blessing. That doesn't mean we don't mourn the loss or don't have concern for how God is going to turn these ashes into beauty, but it does mean that our sorrow does not lead to despair. Our heads don't bow low indefinitely. We take time to honor Bob and Sherry and what they've meant to us personally and corporately. But then we raise our eyes to the hills with great expectation that the maker of heaven and earth who knew this was coming and has set all things in motion will step in and care for our souls and provide for our church, my church family. Let's love Pastor Bob and Sherry and honor them well these final two months that we have with them. But let us also allow excitement to build as we anticipate the new growth and the beauty that God's going to bring to us in 2023. All for his glory and for our blessing. Amen. Amen. Before, believe it or not, uh, Bob uh, and Sherry's announcement... Uh, back in May, uh, I felt like the Lord was uh, stirring in me a, a, a mini-series on the purpose of the church. 
Uh, and I had actually already scheduled it for these two weeks because I knew that I was going to be coming back from a family camp and I had two weeks and then we have a missionary speaking on the 28th. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this is a perfect little two-week uh, kind of uh, series that I can do and then jump back into Genesis after that in September. And so this was already planned. Again, God knew. God had already inspired this message, but it is fitting for a time of transition for not only us to be re-envisioning how we do ministry, but for us to remind ourselves of what the purpose is that we serve as a church. What has God called us to? Who are we as a church? Why are we this as a church? Specifically, what I want to focus on is the two uh, uh, purposes, I believe, key purposes that God has given us as a church, given all churches. Uh, we we uh, see these two purposes quite clearly in Scripture. The first one is pretty obvious. I think you all probably know what it is. It comes from a Matthew 28, maybe 18 to 20, and you may remember that passage, something about Great Commission or something like that, right? We, we kind of, all churches have this understanding, like this is a key purpose of the church, is the Great Commission. Some people end there, they stop there. They say that is the only purpose of the church is to, to do the Great Commission. I think it is an important, part, and it's, a, it's something that God has called us as a church. We need to be about evangelism. We need to be about sharing the love of Jesus. We need to be about making disciples in this world. But there's another, I think, key purpose that oftentimes gets overlooked, the key purpose of serving one another. This one, you know, no one seems to really want to look at too much. It seems like all the glory, especially maybe even in the alliance where we're so great at sending missionaries, that, you know, kind of the, the serving one another piece kind of gets second place or looks down on or We don't even worry about it. We just, you know, let's focus on the mission field. Let's focus on getting out there and sharing the gospel, and then we forget about everything else. But as we will see in this message this morning, the, the, the conviction, the, the commission to serve one another, I believe, and seems clearly by Jesus' words, that are, is just as important as the Great Commission. Both of these purposes, the Great Commission and the call to serve one another, is a requirement of Scripture. It's a commandment from Jesus, but it takes commitment in order to fulfill it takes sacrifice. We, we, we need to sacrifice our time. We need to sacrifice our energy. We need to sacrifice our strengths. We need to sacrifice our finances in order to be great commission and service, serve one another oriented church. We have to sacrifice comfort. We have to give up family time. We have to give up leisure and entertainment. If we are going to be a church, a healthy church, that is doing what God has called us to do, we need to make sure that we're willing and ready to surrender, to sacrifice in order to accomplish the great commission and the commission to serve one another. Next week, we'll look further at uh, the great commission, but this morning, I want to take some time to, to, to talk about serving one another. Philippians chapter 2, very uh, familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you. But I think Paul outlines it well, but you know, it's not just with Paul. We'll go back to Jesus here in a minute. But let me read uh, some of these verses here in uh, Philippians 2. 
So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have his, this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus, who though he was in the form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul, very clearly, teaching, uh, writing to the Philippian church, says, hey, you guys, we, you got to make sure, like, if you've got anything from Jesus... If you've received any gift, if you've received any blessing from him and the community, then you need to understand this perspective, that we live our lives together, not being concerned, first of all, with my own needs, but with the needs of others. This is a reality that if you've been involved in ministry in any sense, you probably have already experienced this. If you haven't, then let me tell you, get involved in ministry because you're missing out. And it's this reality. The reality is that if we come to church every Sunday hoping that other people will serve us and care for us and fill us up, even if we just come with Jesus, like, Jesus, you got to do all these things for me, then we are going to miss out. But when we come to church expecting, first of all, just to worship God for who he is and what he has already done, and then second of all, to look to serve others, we then will get what we need. It is those who serve the most that get served the most. This is the economy of God. This is the way he's created it. And so this reality that Paul is saying here in Philippians is, hey, get out there and serve. Stop worrying about what you need. Stop coming to the church. I remember we got a phone call at a church in, our church in Richland one time. Uh, the office manager takes the call. And it's some, some person on the phone, I don't know if they're joking or what, but I, they go, yeah, you know, we're looking for a new church. And the you know, office manager, great, yeah, what can we tell you? Well, we're looking for a church that will meet all of our needs. It's like, just hang up. Let's just stop right there, right? But, but you know, we may not do that to the extreme, but do we do that now? When we've had a really rough week, do we come to church expecting that the church is going to take care of me, fix me, help me, serve me, do something, right? Or do we come to church to worship God for who he is and what he's already done and the fact that he's been with us through that horrible week that we just had? And then looking for opportunities for the person around us maybe that's had a horrible week as well, that we could step in and encourage them, to care for them, to love them, to give them what they need in the moment. It is Paul's contention, it's Scripture's contention, it's God's economy that those who serve will be the ones who receive. But to make sure that we understand that this, this commission to serve one another is not just a, a, a Paul thing, but it goes back to Jesus, we need to turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, 34, and 35, famous verses here 
Uh, you, you've heard them many times, and oftentimes it's plucked out of context and, and read, which, it, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I'm just saying that today we need to look at the full context. So Jesus says, this, he's in the upper room. Like, this is the last time he's going to be with his disciples, right? I mean, these are the last words, the final instructions. And what does he tell his disciples? He says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, we pull this out of context all the time. We say, hey, church, we need to be loving. It's the way that the world's going to know that we are you know, Christians, that, we, that Jesus is something because we're able to love each other. And that is true. We'll be able to love each other. But what does that mean? Our culture has totally destroyed the definition of love, right? I mean, love is something that's emotional, but it's not emotional. It's something that's kind of something that you like, you, it's, not, it's not attached to truth. It's just attached to, you know, kind of saying the right things or doing the right thing, whatever. It's just like this weird thing. What is love? And Jesus tells us, and this is great in this verse, right? In verse 34, he says, hey, love like I have loved you. What a beautiful thing, like how Jesus has loved us. How has he loved us, right? Unconditionally, we understand this reality that he loves us just as we are. That we walk through the, the doors of the church, we don't have to, you know, you know, go through this whole rigmarole. I mean, think about the priests back in temple days, right? When they were, the high priest was going to the Holy of Holies, all the things that he had to do to make sure that he was right, that he was figured out, that, that he didn't have any sin, he didn't have anything that was out there that somebody didn't know about. Because when he walked into the Holy of Holies, if he wasn't totally, if he hadn't done all this perfectly, he was done. Like God would smite him right there. It's over. We don't have to do that. Because Jesus has done that for us. The moment we bow our knees to Jesus as Lord, we have been purified completely. His blood washes us clean. And so every Sunday we can walk through the door without having to go through all that rigmarole in order to stand before Jesus and say, God, help me. I love you. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're so good. I need you. I need you every moment of my day. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Unconditional. We don't have to clean up. So we need to love each other that way, not expecting other people to, to clean up before they get here. But I love, this is where, this is why I love the context here. This, these two verses are not just out here hanging in the air where we have to try to figure out, okay, how did Jesus love them? We, we don't have to know the rest of the book of John. We don't have to know the rest of the New Testament to understand how Jesus loved him. Because these statements come after Jesus showing them very clearly what it means to love each other. And it's the verse we read at the beginning of the service. Jesus did the most shocking thing, in my opinion, this is the most shocking thing that Jesus did. Not his miracles, not some of his teachings, not his railing against the religious leaders. The fact that the Lord of the universe all-powerful, all-knowing, awesome, holy, perfect God not only came and lived among us, but got on his knees and washed our feet. The lowliest of servants did the washing of the feet. 
You see, Jesus' love has already been proven to them right there. He's like, this is what I'm talking about. I want you to love each other like I just loved you. I want you to serve one another. There is too often in our world today where we look at love, and love is just this detached thing that's out here floating in space. And if we say, hey, I love you, that means we love them. But how often, as James says in chapter 2, how often do we say, oh, man, you're really in trouble. I really love you. And then walk away and do nothing about their trouble. Jesus' love is a love that is action. It's a love that serves. It's a love that puts himself below the others and says, my needs are not as important. Your needs are the ones I want to care for. You're the one that I want to make sure I'm taking care of. You're the one that I want to make sure gets blessed today. This is the love that Jesus had for his disciples. This is the example he had just set before laying down this commission to love one another. Church, we need to learn to serve one another. I think there's three areas where this kind of gets played out. We serve each other relationally, physically, and spiritually. I won't take as much time on these because I don't have the time, but I, I, we can just kind of quickly work through these. First of all, the, the church is an essential element of our life. Too often, I think, we think that community in the church is kind of the secondary thing that's not that important. Now, I'm a, I know I'm a pastor. Like, this is my life, right? Okay, so I get it, right? You know, like, for me, this is really important because I spend all my week, you know, my whole week here. And I'm not saying, like, the church, like, you should be here all week, right, with me. Okay, that, although that would be great. Well, actually, no, it wouldn't be great. Um, <laughs> Do your own thing. That's great. Uh, but no, I mean, we, we think we, we can see the church as just kind of this, you know, like it, 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 it's just, you know, an, an, a luxury, you know, like it's a kind of an extra thing that, you know, we as Americans, we get to do. It's really cool, but it's really not that important to us. There's so many other aspects of our life that are important. I, I, you know, the amazing thing, but we need each other. Jesus says, like, when you become a Christian, you're not just like this, you know, individual that now has everything that is needed in order to, you know, do everything. You, he's, like, he's like, no, you are just adopted into this family. And this family, you need. You need to be around them. You need other Christians. Uh, our salvation is lived out in community. And, and we need community. Some of us got great families, Right? And sometimes we kind of like make this definition of, of church that is like, it's our, my family. My family's my church. And for some of us, you know, that's probably about right, right? Um, Petrovs are, you know, they're about, they got a big enough church there, right? What else do they need, right? But no, I mean, we, we kind of like look at our families and we go, well, you know, I've got a great family. We all believe in Jesus. And so this is our church. No, 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 that is not church. You see, think about the first century church. And then think about the radicalness of this command from Jesus to love one another. Who was in the church? Jews and Gentiles. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we don't want that riffraff in our church. I mean, uh, are we really going to let a Gentile teach Sunday school to my kid? Um, I don't think so. Pharisees and Sadducees. 
in the same church together. Masters and slaves. Whoa, whoa, wait a second, slow down. Wait, I'm supposed to worship next to my slave? No, come on now, come on, right? You know, there was tons of division in the, in the early church. Paul writes about it oftentimes, right? Like, hey, what are you guys doing? You guys got to get together and stop fighting each other. And the reason is because there were real life differences. The church was not filled with a whole bunch of people that thought all the same things. There was difference politically, right and left. There was difference theologically, perspectives of, you know, what this means or that means or how to do this and circumcision or no circumcision. What, there are differences all over the place, economically. Masters and slaves, difference in gender where, you know, we're bringing male and female into the same church and worship. Wait a second, what is going on? Folks, God has called us into the church because it is going to be different. And what sets us apart is not that we all think the same, look the same, act the same. Because even the world loves in that kind of situation. But the radicalness of this commission from Jesus is that in the church, you're going to have all these people with different perspectives. And you got to love them. And you love them, not just saying, oh, you know, I, yeah, I just love them. That's just so amazing, but never talk to them. Right? It's, it's not like, oh, I just, I really love them. I'm, a, I'm just going to pray for them over here. You know, I just pray the Lord will somehow convict them of their sin. Uh, anyway, whatever, right? You know, it's not that kind of love. It's love that is relational. It's a love where you connect. A love where you actually get to know them. Sit down with somebody who's very different than you, and let's talk. Talk about life. The reality is, is every one of us, no matter what we believe or how we live our life, have more in common than we have different. But we will never know that if you never sit down with them and have that conversation. And this is the reality in the church, is that our commonality with Jesus as Lord of our life, that's what draws us together. And that's what we keep our focus on. But we need to serve one another relationally which means that we, we take time to get to know each other. It means that we uh, seek to understand them. Instead of judging them, we seek to empathize with them, understand their situation. Why did they act that way? Why did they believe that way? Don't just assume that they're like going to hell or they're evil or they're Satan-controlled or whatever. Like, let's get out and get to know them. Have those conversations. But, be dis- but to serve each other in relationship means we're sensitive to the different perspectives. Have we been sensitive of our political views over the last couple of years? Have we? I mean, think about it. Well, maybe we need to bring it down a little bit more. Have you? Have you been sensitive with your political views? Or have you just showed up on Sunday morning ready to just kind of regurgitate what you read that week? If we're going to be in relationship with one another, if we're going to serve one another as a church where we recognize that we're going to have different views and different perspectives, then we have to learn to be sensitive when we're together. To be gracious. To allow for a diversity of thought. 
to not cram our perspective down, but be humble, to respect people, to help people feel that this community is a safe community for them to be a part of. That just because this is Reading, and just because we're a little bit outside of town, doesn't mean that this church only accepts right-wing conservatives. That every political perspective is accepted here. It also means that theologically diversity, we can have that. We've, and we do have that in our church. I know there's several that have different perspectives than I do, and that's awesome. Next, we need to learn how to serve each other physically as well. True community must include the sharing of burdens. You know, in America, I think we've relegated this to the government serving of needs. Now, I'm not saying that's like necessarily all wrong, but it's too easy. We have a cop out. It's too easy for us. We come to church on a Sunday, we hear about maybe a financial need or whatever, and our immediate thought, well, you know, they need to go down to this and do, you know, seek this government agency or this government agency or this thing over here, you know. You know, if they're, if they're hungry or if they're homeless, you know, we, let's take them down to, to, the, to the, you know, the, to the mission, right? I mean, because that's, that's where we, I mean, it's a Christian organization. It's a great thing, right? Wait a second. Real, I, I mean, maybe there's a time for that. I'm not saying never, but uh, have we ever thought about, you know, hey, this is a homeless person. They need some help. But shoot, I got a floor and a blow-up mattress, you want to come to my place? A love that would shock the world. A love that people go, wait a second, what's going on there? What are the needs around you? Do you even know the needs? This goes back to the first serving of relationship. Are you aware of the needs in the community? Are you aware of what's going on? And it's not just a giving, we have a benevolence fund, which is often, we've promoted that the last few, you know, or last month or so. Hey, you know, benevolent fund is low, you know, fill that. That's got a place, don't get me wrong. But also, why do we wash our hands of it? Why do, why do we want to distance ourselves from serving one another's physical needs? How about we actually dive in? Like I said, to do what Jesus has called us to do is going to require sacrifice. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to have to do things that we're not comfortable with. We're going to have to do things that, you know, it's going to mean that, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to come home tonight. I got to, I got to take somebody to a meal to, to take them out to dinner or whatever. I got to, you know, it's going to mean that we give up things. But again, this is what Jesus has called us to, to serve one another. It's too easy for us to just pass off the responsibility to the government or to the person's family, or to other people. But again, James 2, it's an awesome passage. It says, you know, if you see someone who's in need, and, and, and you, you feel bad for them, and you have the ability to kind of meet that need, but then you just walk away and say, hey, you know, I'll pray for you, and do nothing for the need, that is not love. Again, we, we, we justify it by saying, well, it's a, you know, the government and there's government things that can be doing. Or, you know what, the pastor, he can, he can do that. He's got that. You know, he's got nothing else going on in his life. He just preaches on Sunday. I mean, what else, really? Anyway, you know what I'm saying? We, so we justify it. But no, if the Lord brings a need before us, 
What are we doing, right? If we have the ability to meet that need, can we step in? We need to use our skills. And it's not just finances, right? These are skills and our energy as well to bless others. If we're an electrician, we find here somebody's got an electrical problem at their house. Hey, I've got some time Saturday for a couple hours. Can I come over and help you, right? Instead of saying, hey, I know a good electrician. Here, let me give you a call. Give him a call or give you a number. Finally, we need to learn to serve each other spiritually as well. A key reason that the church gathers is for worship, right? That's why we're here today, right? To worship God and praise and in, in, in the proclamation of his word. But in, in, in that worship, it includes music, it includes teaching and, and giving and sharing and mentoring and prayer and fellowship. But we need everybody participating. You know, 1 Corinthians and Romans 12 both tell us this reality that we all have been given gifts, spiritual gifts. Why have you given it to us? For the common good of everyone, to edify the body. How many people in this room are not using their gifts? Think about yourself. Are you using the gifts that God's given you? It doesn't have to be every Sunday, but it should be looking for something each Sunday, maybe. An opportunity. If you're a teacher, are you teaching? If you're a prophet, are you prophesying? If you're filled with mercy, are you giving mercy? If you have been gifted with worship skills or, or technology skills, are you using those for the glory of God in the church? But also with each other, to bless one another, to serve one another. We love by serving each other with our spiritual gifts. Encourage, exhort, teach, worship, pray, give, prophesy, accountability. Corporately, we do this when we have the opportunity, but we don't have to do it corporately. We don't have to do it on stage. Spiritual gifts can be done in the fellowship hall, in the youth room, in the CE building, anywhere on this campus. Each Sunday, do you come ready to use your gift? All right, worship team, come on up. We're going to transition now into uh, communion. And, I, and I th again, I think this is an important thing. <laughs> communion is a fitting thing to conclude a message like this. Because what I'm calling us to is I'm calling us to, to be one body. The body needs all of its parts doing its work. All of its parts doing the job of serving one another. The reality is, is I cannot serve every one of you in this room. There's only a few. I know. Sorry. I'm, Artie's really disappointed. I'm sorry, Artie. <laughs> he thought I could do it all, and now, yeah. Uh, yeah, right? I, I, I can't. Like, no, there's not one of us in here that could. We need each other. We need all of us to step up and to, to serve this church to care for one another, to love one another in that way. And now, I understand, like, understand that there's some of you in here that are really tired because you've been serving a lot. Get, understand, like, don't feel guilt over this. If you're doing it, then praise the Lord. 
Give him the glory. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave me this perspective and you've given me the ability to use those gifts and to bless and to serve this community. And I'm just going to call out the ones who aren't involved yet. Yet, I say. Like, if you've been coming to this church for a while, and it's not about membership. You don't have to be a member of this church. I want you to be a member of this church. Why? Because it puts a stamp of a, it puts a stamp in the world. Like, hey, I am taking a stand right here. This is my community. This is my church. This is the one that I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna really serve and care for, and that I'm gonna serve with as we go on the Great Commission. I want you to do that. But even if you're not, don't think that you're out. Oh, I'm not a member, so I don't have. No, 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 no. If you show up here on Sunday mornings, if you call TAC your church, then you need to get involved and serving one another. Maybe it's in a ministry that's corporately to to, to a lot of different people, or maybe it's just every Sunday morning showing up ready to share. Share the gifts that God's given you to bless, engage in relationship. Look for physical needs that you can take care of. Use the spiritual gifts that God's given you for the edification of others. And so with that perspective, we come to communion. Jesus, the one who's brought us together, The one, he's the reason we're here. And he's the reason, he's the one who's given us this purpose to serve one another. So as we come and receive communion this morning, may we recommit ourselves to Jesus and to fulfilling the purpose that he's given us as a church. To serve one another and to share the love of Jesus with the world. So we're gonna serve again. Derek, are you gonna... You're, okay, you're going to be over here. Okay, I'll be over here. So, uh, yeah, just as you come, we're going to play some music. You can come on the outside, return to your seats on the inside. Once you've received your elements back of your seat, you can take it on your own, and then we'll conclude our service after that. So uh, uh, let me pray, and then you can come forward and receive communion this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your amazing goodness to us. The amazing grace and reality, Lord, that you have called us to these things, but you don't leave us alone. We don't have to try to do this on our own. But Jesus, you will give us the strength we need. You'll give us the courage to step out. You'll reveal the areas where we need to step in. And Lord, you've already, I think, done that in so many people's minds this evening, this morning. But Lord, understand that the reason that we follow you is because of what you've done for us. Lord, that you did come. You lived among us, Lord. You, you humbled yourself and became a servant to us. You washed our feet. And then, Lord, you died on a cross for me. So, Lord, this morning as we take communion, we once again give all the glory and thanks to you for who you are and what you've done. And once again proclaim that we will be a living sacrifice, that we will follow you wherever you lead, and that you will help us to fulfill the purpose of this church, to serve one another, and to share the good news with the world. For your glory and for our blessing. Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we are yours, Lord, and we surrender once again to you. Lord, that uh, we give you our lives, that uh, you are our Lord and King. That means that you have sovereignty over us. Lord, you get to choose how we live our life and what is important to us and what's not. You're the one who decides the church's purpose, and you've given us that uh, teaching clearly. So, Lord, help us. 
Help us to do it and do it well. Lord, we all want to be healthy. We all want to be a healthy church. We all want to, uh, to, to be used by you in some way. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to have the courage to step in. Lord, help us to, to maybe cut some things out of our lives that are keeping us from being able to do and serve the, the, in the areas that we want to serve. Lord, help us to know the, the decisions that we need to make and then give us again the courage to step in and do that. Lord, we desire to continue to be a church that keeps its focus on you, that loves you and cares for you and follows you wherever you lead. That we be a church that serves each other well and the community around us will go, wow, that's a church that's different because even though they're really different than each other, even though they have different views and perspectives, they love each other and they love each other well by serving one another. Romans chapter 12, what a great chapter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, let us, then, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service in our serving, in one, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in, a tri in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. In Jesus' name, amen. And God bless. Thank you, church. It is good to see you. If you'd like prayer this morning, please come forward. We would love to pray for you. Have a great Sunday.